Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. It's the Keith Watch Podcast. It's essential like your breakfast. It will get you up and going, learn some things you didn't know. Yeah, it's the Keith Walsh Podcast. It's the Keith Walsh Podcast. Give you energy like buck fast. And if your head's in a pickle or you're looking for a giggle, it's the Keith Walsh Podcast. Yeah. Good morning. It is Saturday, the 31st of October, the last day of October. It's been a very long month, hasn't it? And... We've only been locked down for a week and a half, but October seems to have dragged out. I know a lot of people are putting up the Christmas tree this weekend, so congratulations if you're putting up your Christmas tree. If you're listening to this in the summer of 2022, ignore what I'm talking about. But at the moment, I'm here live in Newbridge in County Kildare on a very blustery, windy, not too wet day. It was kind of sunny earlier. It's one of those Irish days where we get all the all of the seasons in one day. There's still some trees clinging onto their leaves. Um, but it's very autumnal out there. And, and so it should be. It's almost November. But uh, today is Halloween here. Uh, it's the eve of All Hallows. All Hallows Eve. Uh, traditionally, the the night before the start of the Celtic New Year. So tonight we would feast. I think tonight. Tonight we would feast, we would light fires, we would drink, we would probably take mushrooms, eat food and have a party. And then tomorrow would be New Year's Day, traditionally, the Celtic calendar. As far as I know, I'm sure someone would correct me. Feel free to, cl- uh, to correct me. Um, my email address as always is keithwalch.walch at gmail.com or keithwalchpod at gmail.com. Do get in touch. You can send me an email about anything. I'm I'm an open something. I was gonna say I'm an open book, but that my my door is always open. Um Charlie's here at my feet and he uh, makes an appearance in the following chat I had. Uh he starts barking at something for some reason in the middle of it, and I just left it in because why not? That's life that's life. Um so today's chat, um, and it's unusual, but I, I'm. I want to just put it up straight away because. Um, I just it was just it's just very interesting to hear, his perspective. His name is Moses Dunga. I met him in Nairobi when I travelled to Kenya. God, it must be a year and a half, maybe two years now. To do a bit of work. With a beverage company. And as part of the sort of the weekend's activities, we we went to a place called Downtown 
Nairobi. There's there's downtown, there's uptown, there's parklands, there's different areas in Nairobi. But we went to downtown uh, to meet up with some former street kids and they showed us around um, downtown and they basically gave us a sort of a little history of themselves, uh, who they were, the story of their lives so far. And these are kids who um, aren't kids anymore, adults, but have turned their lives around and sort of, I mean, from, as you'll hear in the chat, uh, very, very, very crazy circumstances, unbelievable lives, uh, unbelievable experiences, unbelievable hardship, just unimaginable. Um, and uh, he doesn't mention in this chapter, when I talked to him at the time, he said that his mother was... He was born, his mother didn't really want him. I think he was with his granny for a little while until he ended up on his own. Um, but that was the way it was for a lot of children. Um, his mother rejected him and I think it was because she she got pregnant through uh, forced. She was forced to um, have sex and it happens a lot I mean it happens a lot all over the world But so he he was left to fend for himself on the streets uh, there's a couple of little things that I want to mention just so you know you know just in case so I, so I didn't really ask him any questions because he's he's very well versed in telling his story and he didn't need me to um, uh, to join in or to ask any questions, I just let him. Um, I just let him talk, and he's a very good talker. So I, I think he'll be interested in the story. Excuse me, now I'm just looking for the spelling of this uh, group that he's involved in, Nainami. Um, so the tour group he's involved in is called Nainami. And I will try and find it. I tell you what, I won't find it right now. I'll find it and I'll come back and I'll tell you about it at the end. I'll have a little chat with you at the end of the of uh, of Dunga's chat. So a few things. Uh, he talks about um, collecting his first business, his first job, when he got in with the Bays. I still, I'm not sure of uh, Bays, what the meaning is. Um... He called it a base. It's basically like you'd have to understand being homeless in Nairobi. You don't. You can't just sleep anywhere. You can't just. Um. You can't just go and lie on the street. You. Everybody owns something. Everybody has a patch, and everybody has a hustle. So. If you. If you fall asleep somewhere, some will look for money from you. You know. So you can't even be homeless for free. So it's it's a crazy scenario. Um. So with his first base, which is basically sort of a mobile street uh, kid group, you know, uh, with with sort of a leader, um, and they will kind of look after your, your I suppose it's uh, safety in numbers and comfort in numbers. But his first business, his first job was collecting bones, which you'll hear about. Um, he talks about a password you needed to, so it was 20 shillings, you needed to have at least 20 shillings to come in and stay with your family, with your street family at the base. Uh, you had to arrive each evening with you'll have to earn at least 20 shillings that day to pay just for your to stay 
to sleep somewhere safe and you'd have to bring a password and the password was a tire so you'd have those those were the two things as he's like explained a tire a car tire and they, they would use that for burning uh he talks about a game i think it was chukka um makato is another card game he was talking about uh Kalilu is one thing he mentions which was a lot of the street kids in nairobi would sniff inhale Kalilu, and it's a it's airline fuel as far as i can tell and he started um on Kalilu definitely by 13 and probably younger and that was kind of the what they needed to keep them warm and to get them through the day and to make life bearable um then he started scrap metal and yeah he talks about meeting a woman at one point that's kind of a little bit later on and she was what i I suppose i would describe maybe ignorantly but as a witch some sort of witch doctor uh, a medicine woman and she injected him with something he said he has this medicine that she put into his body under his skin in his belly and he still still has it um let me just see what else uh conk i think is a word i think it means to get out of it he mentions that a couple of times um, oh yeah, he talks about when he got to the part where he started stealing phones. Um, I have I had spoken to him before, and he was he was explaining that what he was doing when he was when he met up with his junkie friends, they taught him a new business, which was robbing uh, indicator lights, uh, indicators, um, car mirrors, just you know, just popping them in the in the traffic, just running up, you pop them off the car and you leg it, and that's where a friend of his got shot and killed, and that's where he got. He talks about mob justice. He got uh, basically jumped on by a lot of people and, and almost died. Um, but that was the, the business he brings back to. He starts uh, He starts with this business in when he comes back to downtown. But he was making too much noise for the phone stealers. because And he'll describe it when you take an indicator. You have to make a, it's a bang. It's a pop. You bang it off. You hit it. You hit it and run. You bang. You, you know, you rip the the car mirror and you run so the, he was making noise so it was the guys that the, the phone thieves that taught him about stealing phones because he was ruining their business by making noise by startling people and then they'd be kind of aware of their with that noise they'd become more aware of their surroundings and their their phones and um so that's how he got into stealing phones just in case he kind of skipped over that bit a little bit um and I think that's pretty much it. You sh- if you're interested, you could look up the slums, and there's a map online of the slums of Nairobi, and uh, I think the biggest slum in the world is in Nairobi. Um, and he speaks a little bit about that. But it's very interesting chat, just to, to get a perspective of a street kid in Nairobi. He does this as, as, a, as a job. Uh, he's an Uber driver as well. He's turned his life around, and at the end of it, I will try and get, if he sends me his music, I'll try and get a clip of his music. Um, if not now I will share it at a later date so that's it, um, enjoy the chat this is episode um, 20 of the Keith Walsh podcast with uh, Dunga, Moses Dunga he has many names many, the man of many names which you will find out that just seems to be the way it is um, enjoy, enjoy the chat so my name is Donga my name is Donga or you can call me Donga man and now I'm in the hood, even though it, it is not my house, but I'm in the slums. So I was born here in Madare slums. And when I was born, I was never raised by my real parents. I was never raised by my mom. So I have a lot of women here that I consider them as my mother. 
So at the age of eight years, I found myself in the streets of Nairobi. First, I started at the neighborhood of my, my hood, where I am now. It is known as Isili. And that is how I became a street boy. And in Isili, I met with two friends who became my first family on the streets. And they are the ones who introduced me to, to, to Uptown. And they introduced me to a business of begging in the streets. So I became a, a professional beggar, begging in Uptown. And the same year, I was nine years, I was arrested. I was arrested because of begging. And when I was arrested, the next two days, I found myself in, a, in a, like a prison, children's prison. And uh, I spent there two and a half years. And luckily, I met with friends who used to come to volunteer to teach. A Norwegian guy, his name was Mr. Bob. And Madame Eunice, he was a Kenyan volunteer. He was a leader of Kenyan volunteers. So it was an organization that used to bring different people to teach children in there. And also that is where at least I got my first knowledge of holding a pen and also counting numbers. Because before I used to know how to count only money. But from there, <laughs> at least... I was lucky and proud to say that at least I went to school. So after two and a half years, through the help of Mr. Bob and Madame Eunice, I was released. And for a bad luck, when I was out, when they helped me, I lost them. So up to date, I've never met with any one of them, the two of them. So I was now scared living in uptown by then i was 11 years so i went in downtown and i saw there was a street guy who was just walking around so he was the only one according to me whom i could relate with so i decided to walk around following that guy and uh, with time he asked why are you following me and i told him i'm straight from the prison and i am new in downtown so he told me don't worry and that was my beginning of uh, starting uh, living in the base because the guy, he introduced me in the base. A base, it is a home of street family. It can be anywhere, under the bridge, just outside, as long as we are homeless people, they feel comfortable. So here in the streets, we call it a base. So, and he took me to his base there were a lot of people, 200 plus street family living together. And for the first time I met a big number who accepted me the way I was. And in the base, I had to live like them, respect and also love. And I, I had never slept hungry in the base because let's say you're driving and you have some leftovers. If you give a street child, once they have eaten their food, we don't throw food. We take it to the base so that those who don't have, 
they can have it, they can share, we share. So I learned how to share from the base and mostly in the base people, they were not lazy. Majority, they used to do a business of collecting bonds in the streets. And uh, I also needed some money because in the base we used to pay 20 shillings because we used to have our leader, his name was Taiso. And uh, also we used to have what we call a password in order to sleep, you have to come with two things. Uh, one was 20 shillings, and the second, it was a tire. Tire, it was a password, cause you know, we were just sleeping outside. There is no shelter where, you know, when the rain comes. So, and there is cold when you're living a street life. So you need like, a, like fire. And there is no firewood in downtown. So we used to use tire, old tire to, we can put them like six and then we put big fire. So we sleep around the fire. So that became my life. And with time I started doing a business of, uh, of searching for bonds like other, other family members from the base and selling the bonds. Hello. Hello. Yeah. Someone was calling. I'm That's sorry. That's okay. That's okay. That's okay. Uh, so yeah. you were so you were selling, selling, collecting, and selling the bones. Yeah, and selling them per kilogram. One kilogram, it was seven shillings. So I did the business, and at least sometimes, if I'm lucky, I could get a good income. But all my money, I used to play gambling in the base also. There is what we call chaka. I don't know if you, you, you know chaka. Chaka, they are small shells, small shells. Uh, you use four, four of them. It's a gambling, very famous in the streets. And then you throw. If you throw, maybe they come one side, four of them white, you, you have win. If they come three white and one black, you have lost. So it was a... It depends with your luck. So most of the time we used to play chaka and also some they used to play card. We call that meda, you know, or mukato. Mukato. So, mukato, yeah. It's a, it's a card. So that is what I used to do most with my money and, uh, and buy, of course, my kalalu. You need something to be high. It is not easy to live in such a life, such environment, and so and also to stay sober. You will die. You will die with with stress. You know. So what's, you need. What's kalalu? Yeah, yeah. You need kalalu. Kalalu. It is a aeroplane fuel that we put it on handkerchief or any piece, small piece of clothes, and then you sniff. But for me. I used to have uh, a, big, a big a big sweater. It was all weather. I used to call it my all weather because it was on my body, whether there is sun or rain, I used to have it. And you know, it was big, it was a bit bigger than me. So here on, on the hand, I used to pour kalalu. And then most of the time I could sleep with my sweater. No one will steal my kalalu because I have it on my body. 
because sometimes if you pour on a piece of cloth and maybe you know you're high or sleeping, your colleagues come and take sniff and also some steal it. So, but you know the sweater was on my body, so I could sleep with it. And then in the morning, I start as usually enjoying myself. So that was my life. But with time, uh, by then I, I was almost uh, 13 years old. The, the business of bonds, they were banned in the city for various reasons. And because here we have a national park and by then fresh bonds, they were expensive. Some people, I think they were taking advantage of uh, our beautiful wild animals, killing them, sell the bones. So the business has to. Now from there, the people whom we used to sell for them bones, they are the ones who came up with a new idea of buying scrap metal. And where I used to live, I used to live my, where my base was, or our base was, was in a place known as Grogon in downtown Nairobi. So, and mostly it is a, it is a open space or a huge garage where random people, they come. If you have a skill of repairing cars, you can just come and wait and people, they bring their cars. So it is no man's land. It belongs to, to anyone who has mechanical skills. And also it is a home. It has been, and it is a home of, street family from generation to generation. So it is known as Grogon. So when mechanic back in the days, if they repair cars, mostly bad spares they used to throw anywhere. Uh, and our job was to collect those spare parts and sell them per kilogram. Uh, one kilogram by then, it used to be 10 shillings. But nowadays it is almost 30, 39, 38 or 40 shillings. Life has changed. So that became my second business when I was 13. But I was not the only one in the business. I had a competition because we were many people who used to depend in such hassle. So I started doing that. And with time, some of the mechanics, they were selfish instead of growing, cause some, even they used to tell us, you guys, you make a lot of money, but in real, we are not making a lot of money because we are many, there's so many people doing the same business. So, and some, due to that, it was hard to find scrap metal. And uh, in Grogon, back in the days, it was oilish area. Nowadays it has changed because you know, as a country, we are developing our country. So it was oilish place. When mechanic remove oil, they just pour anywhere. So, and most of my childhood, I used to walk without shoes. That's why nowadays I love shoes. <laughs> so I used to walk without shoes. And uh, Nairobi weather, it is, a, it is hot. So when you walk on the ground, it is oilish. And when you stop on the oil, so you get burned to your feet. So sometimes, because the garage, it is close to the river, I used to avoid the oilish area and walk in the river. So where there is no oil, I come out and then I continue my hustle of just, you know, searching for scrap metal. And um, one day, uh, first, 
I picked up uh, Shokabsoba. You know Shokabsoba? Yeah. First, I pick up Shokabsoba in the river. And then I realized, oh, even here, there are some scrap metal. So with the time I started searching, searching with my hands, going to deep place, trying to search scrap metal. But I had some challenges because I used to have some cuts. I, I still have some small, small on my hand. Some, you know, some needles, sharp needles. Yeah. So I, I saw the easiest way is to find a magnet, a speaker magnet. I tied a rope. So where the, it is a deep place, I used to throw my magnet. And then I tried to do like this. So it captured some scrap metal. So in that process, that is where I picked up something that changed my life. I, I picked up a tool, I, a spanner. Here we call it spanner. I, I don't know in your country how you call it. <laughs> yeah, we have spanners, I think. Let's see, see if I can find a spanner. I don't know if I have a spanner here with me. I'll show you what I have. I'll show you what I have. You can show me. Like yeah. this? Yeah, something like this. That's that's a that's a, an adjustable wrench. Yeah, so something like that. So I picked up something. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Now this one. This is what I'm talking about. But it was bigger than that one. So th that is what changed me to be another person. So I took it to a friend of mine. His name is Morris. He was a mechanic, and uh, who, when I was young, who used to see me as his child, he used to support me. So he was the only one I could trust with my tool. So I took his, uh, my spanner to his place and I wanted him to give me 40 shillings. He never gave me money, he used to give me food and he gave me, let's say, love, you know? Love, he used to remind me I'm still a child. And it was so beautiful feeling. So in that argument, I wanted money, but he was, no, I won't give you money because he knew I will, of course, buy Kalalu with it. So in that argument, he came up with an idea. He told me, how about if I took you to my store, I give you the scrap metals that I don't need, and then you give me the tool. So I accepted the offer cause because of our friendship. I couldn't say no. So I didn't know he will give me also a lot of scrap metal. So he gave me 18 kilograms. It was my first time to get such a lot of kilograms at once. And I was not strong enough to carry them. I carried them for two rounds because I used to be so skinny. And the following day, that is how I changed. I saw a spanner it makes my work easy. Instead of walking around the garage or in the river all the time. So I was passing and there was a mechanic. He was fixing a car lying down and there were some tools down. So I tried to pick one, but I saw he will see me. So I was just going around his car. So I remember I had my magnet that I used to go with it in the river. So I throw my magnet. So it captured it didn't capture one, it captured several. And then I was lucky to, to steal for the first time. So that is how I, I became a thief. It was my first time to steal and I became a thief.
So I started stealing now spanners because I saw it, it was the easiest way of getting a lot of kilograms. And my life somehow changed because now I used to have at least money compared to the other days. So from there now, I got opportunity to meet a lot of mechanic uh, whom have today, some of them, we are still friends. And uh, some, even they could welcome me into their stores as we were doing the business. Sometimes they give me scrap metal and then, you know, they tell me now, if you come with another one, I will give you this one. So you, need, you see, they were encouraging me to go and come with uh, other, tool, other tools. So, but in that process now, when I was, I, I think around 15, there was a mechanic who was, uh, he was calling me, you are a thief, you know, because I didn't accept his offer. His offer was too small. And then he was bullying me. So there is nothing I could do because he started calling me, you are a thief, you know? And he didn't know also I risked to get that tool that I was doing a business with him. So what I did, I didn't work the whole day. And since uh, my childhood, I am a hot tempered guy. So I waited until at night. I went back to that store. By then there were no security in the garage. So I was trying to break with a stone, his store, but I pulled him. So what I did, uh, there is, a, I used to work with a Mosheki, it's a sharp thing. Cause also when you are a child in the street of downtown, you need to be to have courage or you need to walk with something that it can protect you anytime. So I used to have my fears also as a child. And the greatest fear was to be sodomized by the, the, the older boys who used to live in the base. Because when I was a child, I lost a friend who was sodomized and he threw himself when the river was full. So that thing affected me somewhere, somehow. And I decided I will be working with a sharp thing and uh, also I stabbed someone who was trying to do that to me when I was young. He was the first guy to stab I think. So it was to send a message to others. If you try, I stab you. So I used that thing to break the store. It was long and then I sit on it. So I break the store and all I wanted was my tool but there was darkness i couldn't see so i decided to, to to carry one of his toolbox it had a lot of spanners inside and the following day i had a very good day very good day by exchanging good money <laughs> and now from there i had to graduate officially so i graduated from stealing one spanner with the whole toolbox. And now I saw, I get a lot of money and also tired, you know, I became somehow bossy, started, started having bossy, bossy feelings. And I had to hire people who used to struggle to get kilograms from my base. I hired them and then I pay them depending on the kilogram they have carried. 
because now let's say if I, I I have exchanged like 80 kilograms if I took it where I used to sell my scrap metal in downtown there is a guy his name is Gedi. he's also a good friend of mine nowadays where we used to sell scrap metal so I I used to tell him don't give me money just write my name and the kilogram so the first round he writes kababa because my name by then was kababa when i was young it means a young father he writes kababa first round 80 kilograms second round blah blah and then in the evening i will come then we can count and then he uses calculator he gives me my money and then i can give also my boys their share so but in that process uh they knew my secret was to break store because I used to sneak at night in the base and then I break stores. If I still want toolbox, I can hide it under the river. I can tie it with a rope. And then where there is a bushy bushes, like a branch bush, tie it there. And then I go back to the base to sleep. So during daytime, I come, <laughs> I take my toolbox. I take all the span and then the toolbox, I throw it in the river and left it there because you know it can be evidence so from there now the boys they started doing the same business and uh, there are some things they never knew that i used to do because yes there were no security but also i used to have my enemies they were dogs in the garage so, but then they never knew that. They, they were just going and ignoring dogs, you know. But now the competition was high and uh, the mechanic now had to come with a, an idea of hiring security to guard their properties. And they hired, uh, uh, they're not from government. It is just someone like me. Give him machete and give him maybe a rungu and then you are security, you sleep there. So now we started losing lives of people who used to do the same business like me because they were just going to steal. They were not taking time to see if maybe they are dogs because I used to, I was scared of dogs. So we lost lives and we lost and we lost and it reached to a time, you know, in downtown we have different bases. It was not only my basis, and each base has a leader. So we saw the, these leaders, they saw we are losing lives and we had to come together. I think they went to report somewhere in a police station, but they, they were ignored. So we had to do the same as a street family. If one of us is down, also we do the same, you know? So it reached to a time I... It was too much. I had to go for exile in downtown because also I was among the people that Kababa, you know, some they used to call me Jakababa, some they call me Kababa, and my name was there. And I know, you know, our, our government, our police, they don't joke. So I had to go in for exile. I went back where I started life when I was 17 in the street of East London. Islands. So when I went there, there's some noises here. Mm -hmm. So when I went there, I met with two junkie friends. They were a bit older than me, but very wise. The problem, 
and also very learned friends. The problem they were addicted with uh, stuff. We call them stuff here. Heroin. Heroin and everything, yeah. So I saw they were living a cool life. I tried, but was too conk for me and also expensive. So these friends that I met, one of them, he advised me, uh, you know, instead of using heroin, I can use some pills that you put inside Coca-Cola or you can just take them, you feel like you are dry. And then when you take those pills, you are ready. You cannot be broke when you take those pills. You know, they give you courage and somehow sometimes they also lie. They can put you in trouble. So I started, and my friends, they used to do a business of stealing windbreaker, indicators, a lot of car, uh, stuff in a car. So, and mostly they used to steal in traffic because in Eastlands, it is a busy, by then it used to be a busy area because also of the population, the business and the roads were poor. So they were, they was, there, there was always a, a huge traffic. So they are the ones who introduced me to that business. And uh, that is how I started experiencing my first mob justice. And uh, it was not good. I was beaten up very bad because I was under influence of drugs and I couldn't run as before because now I was addicted with something that was more conk than what I used to use. Because before I used to use Kalalu, of course you can be high, but you can know what is going on. If someone beats you, you feel pain. You can feel the pain, but if you take the pills, you, you just feel you are the giant. You are the man. Even if they punch you, you don't feel anything. Maybe later. Later you will feel <laughs> it's so painful everywhere. So my first experience of mob justice was not good. I spent almost three weeks somewhere. My friends, they carried me, take me there. And when I recover, they advised me now, uh, they told me now, welcome. That was a, a payday. We call it a payday. That is your payday. Now you will have a lots of luck. Now you have to be courageous enough to go back to the business. So it became something that I, you know, they beat me sometimes, I ran, I survived. But with time, uh, we lost one of uh, my junkie friends. His name was Sine. He was shot because he was trying to steal from a police woman. And the police, she tried to tell the guy, stop. But the guy, you know, he was also under influence of drugs. And also he had also turkey. This thing, if you use, it gives you turkey. You need it. You really need it. And you can do anything. So when we saw he was shot and uh, we ran, me and the other guy who he's still a junkie. And with time, because if you die, you, you, you have just died. In the street, there is no mourning. No, if you die, well and good, we will find another friend. So that is how we used to live. I forget you the following day. If someone asked me, I will tell him, ah, he was shot in this place and that place. And that is it. Because we don't know each other families. We don't talk about families, where I come from, who is my mother, nothing like that. 
we have met, we, we just have to live our lives and that is it. So after some months also, the other friend, junkie friend, he was arrested with robbery with violence. And also when he was arrested, I had to move on. And the same year I was beaten up very bad, very, very bad when I was 19. And I, the police, I have uh, a lot of respect from the police here in Kenya and also all over the world because I am here today because of police. They are the ones who rescued me. They thought I was dead, but when they realized I was still breathing, they were good cops. They took me to the hospital. And I spent two weeks in ICU in Kenyatta National Hospital. I spent two weeks there. And then when I recovered and regained my memory, cause I used to have address written unknown. And uh, there was a friendly nurse. She's the one who told me now what I'm telling you. Cause I asked where am I? And she told me you were brought here by the cops. And because of your condition, your hands, especially my hands, they were too big because of beating. They couldn't chain me on the bed. And they told them the day I will recover, I'm supposed to be taken to police and then to the court. And then where people like me, they belong, obvious in jail. So when I had that, I used to, in the ward, I used to have a neighbor who used to have a back problem. So I removed his clothes because he couldn't talk. You know, he was in pain. And he used to have a civilian clothes because he was, it's, I think he has been staying in hospital almost some years now there. So they allow him to wear just home clothes. So I took his clothes and I waited during visiting hours. During visiting hours when people uh, come, being allowed to enter inside, they normally run to see their loved ones. So I waited for that moment and I get outside. When I get outside, I was a bit weak. So I didn't come to Eastlands. I went back to downtown. Now I had a new skill that I learned from Eastlands, a skill of stealing side mirrors and windbreaker. And I also introduced to other friends, maybe even some of them, they still depend on that hustle. So, and that is where I met with people who helped me to come out of the streets because they used to do a business of uh, snatching phones on traffic. And these guys, they used to tell me, you, you are making our work so difficult. You know, snatching a phone, it is something you take it silent. Chop. Immediately it has gone. But indicator, you need a force. <clears throat> it attracts attention. So they told me, they advised me, why don't you steal a phone? But uh, I told them, I don't know where I can sell a phone. So they told me, you just steal, we will show you. And these guys, they were not street family. They used to live in different slums. So one day I tried the phone and my first phone was a Nokia flap, a Nokia flap. And I took it to one of them. I told him, now I have a phone. So the guy, he took me in uptown. So after those all years, that is how I went back in uptown. 
because I was afraid of Saul after since the day I was arrested. And he showed me some brokers where people they sell phones and they gave me good money. I didn't begin, they gave me uh, 7,000. And I saw, wow, just a phone, you give me 7,000. And I had to graduate now from Wilkie to a phone. And with time I became, uh, sorry, I became a friend with one of those guys because they used to call me one man blow. And they used to call me one man blow because you know them, they, they were friends. They used to steal. If you steal, maybe you have your partner. So you share that one. It doesn't matter who stole the phone. So, but for me, I used to be one man. So they say, this guy, he, he is a one man blow. He blows things alone. So he's just one man. <laughs> okay. So they call me one man blow. <laughs> so from there, there was a guy, his name was Safo. He's the one who introduced me to, to the slum. There is a slum known as Korokocho here. It is also a big slums. So he took me, invited me the way I was. He was not shy of me. I was dirty. I was blah, blah, blah. So I went there. When I went there, I was inspired by him to start living in the slums because he had a very nice house like this one. You see, this is my friend's house. So beautiful. Very nice. So he had a small house. Uh, this is a bit big. He had a small house. And in that house, there was a carpet and there was a bed and a sound system and also a, a cooking stove and also a beautiful lady. He had a girlfriend. So I was just looking around and he, I asked him, how did you manage to get all this? And he told me, I am just like you. I still phone, you still phones. So when I came here, I told him, I want also your house. I want a, a house. So I sold two phones and I gave him the money and he searched for a house in the slums and buy some stuff. But with the time I was still sleeping outside in, in, in downtown because I forgot I had a house most of the time. And with the time, I think he was a good friend. He used to grab me after the job, told me, hey, you have a house. We have to take you home. And that is how I started adapting slum life. So with time, you know, he was my friend. And I, his friends also, they didn't like uh, my dirtiness. And they were complaining, you have to shower. You, you know, if you come here, just shower. So <laughs> I showered one day to make them happy. And I also got sick because of showering. You know, the water was too cold. <laughs> It has been years since I showered. <laughs> and also I had to visit to a barber shop because I used to have long afro. And then I shaved my hair. Then I, I was smart. Even in downtown people, they were not believing it was me. And with time I met my first chick there. I fall in love with her. And uh, with time, you know, boys, they stalk. I came to realize she was everyone's girlfriend. <laughs> and we break up immediately. 
I was so angry with that. And with the time where Safo used to take me to smoke weed, I met with a guy, his name was Mainge. And this guy, I, he was dangerous to other people. But for me, I just saw him as a friend. I didn't know his background, but I think our bloods, they were, you know, like uh, we became good friends. And this friend of mine who introduced me to the slum, he was afraid of my friendship and that guy, because this guy, he was not, he was a guy when he's angry, he told you, I will stab you and already he has stabbed you. So people, he was more violent uh, and he was more into deep crime. So he's the one who introduced me to that hassle of, uh, of deep crime. Deep crime. This yeah, is now. serious crime. And th this is the guy that you called under 18. No, nah, his name was Mainge. But you know, because of how he, his look, when he's far, you think he's just a young boy. When you come close, you say, ah, he's just an old person. He looks old when you are close. But by far, you can think, hey, you come here, young man. <laughs> but he was, he was old. So I, I gave him the name. I called him under 18. And he really liked the name. He was like, wow, under 18, I like the name. So we became friends. And this guy, he introduced me to different sorts of slum. I have lived in different slums in this city. Because also, you know, he was kind of wanted. And he used to have also many girlfriends. He didn't have his own house. He, has, he had many or prostitutes, you know. So he can sleep. Wherever he go, he has a, a girl. So, and I had to adapt the same life. If I go here in these slums, we have girlfriends. We have girlfriends. What we need, you need to do is you buy, you know, you buy for them hair and you treat them, treat them nice. And if you find a man in the house, he has to come out or else he'll lose his life, you know? So we used to give them also freedom. I can have hundred girlfriends, but if I come anytime, it doesn't matter if she has a girlfriend, the, the boyfriend has to walk away to give me a space. Because, you know, our job was to hit and run, you know? There is no love. I just come and hit and run. And because of my title also, and my life does not allow me to, to have children. Because we knew we were living a life of we are here now, the next minute, one of us has been shot or has been burned alive by the mob justice. So I was 100%, I will die. So I used to live a party life with whatever I used to get. And you know, I attended lots, a lot, a lot of barley, a lot of them. And anytime I used to attend a burial of a colleague that maybe we were with him on the scene and now he's gone, I used to see people crying, you know, and the preachers, they talk nice to the late. They say, oh, he was a good boy. He was a good man. But blah, blah, blah. You know, they just praise him. But, you know, we know what we used to do. He was not good. But you just, <laughs> the way they give the late praise, you say, no, you're not. He was not like that. He was dangerous in our hearts, you know. Or maybe we talk with other friends. They don't know him. He used to be dangerous, <laughs> you know. So due to that, we had to 
attending more burials, uh, I had to to also turn into Muslim what? because I saw. Do, my do you mind me? Can I ask you, uh, Dunga, what what kind of crime were you involved in then? Can you can you can you say? Um, no, no, it's okay. <laughs> That is why I told you deep crime because there are some things we did, uh, they are not things that I can just happily talk about. Them. Okay, because now you see, I, I'm trying to live a clean life, and uh, if in this side of the world that I'm living, I see we were not doing good things, so I didn't have a heart of a human. I didn't have humanity, but now I have that. Okay. We were not, we were doing bad things. I think if I, t if I tell you, a lot of people, they will hate me. Some, few, they will understand. And some, uh, they won't take it as maybe a story I'm telling you. Okay. So nowadays I prefer to say it was deep crime. So, so you decided to become Muslim because you saw... Yeah. I decided to become a Muslim because my Muslim brothers, when they die, you know, the mosques takes care of their body. And I knew I didn't have a family. And one of these days I will be normal. So I I decided to, to turn into Muslim and following their teachings. And actually, they really, really helped me. Though to, nowadays I'm just a free believer, <laughs> I just live my life. I'm not into religion, but uh, I believe in doing good to myself and that and other people. So that is it. So uh, I'm not a slave of any any kind of. Uh, yeah, I don't like talking about religion. Okay. Yeah. So and with time now, I lost under 18 because under 18 you know he took me to there is a woman in eastern part of the country she's famous for those who people for those who are in crime they know her and she treats you when let's say when there is some exchange of firearms you it won't hurt you so so and she... I seen the one who took me there because I asked him what is the secret of staying long in this business because he has been stealing it generation and generation but they keep on die they leave him so he took me there and that day the the woman did some crazy stuff on this body on my body and I still have some dents something here on my stomach on my belly. I have something inside. It's a medicine. So, but they, she told us there is a price. And the day under 18, he was shot. I think he was a price. And from there, I was nervous, you know. Before, I have lost some friends. But that one, I was shocked because, you know, we were treated. You cannot die. And then, you see, <laughs> it has happened. So, I stopped believing in her in that woman. <laughs> Up to date, we are not in good terms. She called, I don't pick the calls. I don't know where she gets my number. You know, she uses which, I don't know how you call it in your country. She has powers. 
like a, something like that yeah like a witch doctor maybe or yeah, like a witch doctor she's very famous but she's nice when she's she talks so i lost my friend and i stopped believing in her so the same year i lost also other people five and then i got shot here in the shoulder in the shoulder so i used to treat myself with peroxide only because it came out here from somewhere here and it came out from here and then with time i recovered started doing the business and then the last one this one this one here which is a scratch from the vein so That's, you got shot in the ankle yeah so i stopped because i got a scratch a bit from my bone and the and in the vein i was wearing a timbo boot and this one i didn't you know because i was just running so it took time before i walk and i used to live with one of my chicks you know women some some not all of them but some women they are nice if you, you have something or if you can put something on their table so with time she saw i will never walk and that is how she, i think she was married with my friend who 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 he used to be a pusher a pusher is these people sell, the people who sell drugs and uh, now i started living in the slums and i saw the only way i can survive and also other friends who they can help me is to start a business i start a business of selling weed you know weed mm. weed marijuana uh, yeah most of my customer they were into crime they were my friends and it didn't last for long and i had a chick there and the, the chick that i got my son with so i was trying to be a good man but my customers they used to be in crime so one day i think they still somewhere they came at my place and they were followed and there was some shooting in my area and also that is how i lost the mother of my child accidentally she was shot so it's a sad story and it has bring a lot of troubles in my life yeah so it's okay so that is how i started and luckily i i started also stealing electricity supplying to houses like this this one this one they are illegal electricity and i met with shaders and kismat we started doing projects in the slums and luckily we found a business uh, an idea of doing tours to share our parts our past with nainami and i started doing tours uh, as one of my i can say my first clean job now very very clean clean job <laughs> <laughs> so, so nowadays i do tours in downtown with nainami nainami and uh, it is nice because also my colleagues they are just like me and they have changed and also we are trying to change other people and other people they learn through just they know us they want to be like us nowadays so it is good 
I see people, they say, hey, I want to get out of crime. What can I do? So it is good. And some parents also in this hood, <laughs> those who used to know me, sometimes they tell their children, I want you to be like Donga. So you see, it is a very wonderful feeling. So even if I think of going back to where I was and there is a woman or a dad who is believing in me, even he's advising his or her child to be like me. So I think it is a good thing. It keeps me and my colleagues moving on. That is what I do, and I do music. Yeah. You know, party music. <laughs> I will, uh, I, I'll have to play some music. I'll play some music. Yeah, I will send you my music. <laughs> you better, yeah, send it to me. I'll put it on the, I'll put it on this interview on the podcast. I will, I will send you. Should I send you the link or just audio? Which one do you want? Send me the audio. Send okay. me MP3 if you have it, if you can. I have it on my phone. Um, so now you're doing tours and you're making music and you're driving. I believe you're driving an Uber, Uber driver. Yeah, I am an Uber driver, but I don't have my car. I have to be humble to these people who gives me their car. So I am humble to my bosses. You know, I respect their property, take care of it. Cause also, and also and what makes me proud, I am a, I'm very, I am a proud dad. I am a father. I'm a father of one that I know. <laughs> and how is he? What's his name? Yeah, his name is David Donga. Ah. I call him Donga because I had only one name. I told you my name was Moses. And when I grew up, now I decided to call myself now my the name I gave myself leave alone the identification, because that is uh, you know, it is just Moses Donga and my son, my first generation, his name is Donga. So hopefully, when people meet Dongas out there, they are my children. Please welcome them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that is that is me. That is my story. It's a good story. I do you still carry your do you still carry your machete? Yeah, it is in the car. But also here, here, everywhere I go, there is something to protect myself. There is another one here. So you have another machete hidden there in the house? Yeah, it is here. I don't know if you can, can you see it? Inside here. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's big. That's a big knife. Yeah, yeah, you have to. You know, I have a lot of enemies and also friends. People, they blame me for the death of their loved ones. I met with them and then for a bad luck, something happened, they die. So some people, they think it is me who, may, who killed them or who advised them to do what we used to do. I never, I've never advised anyone. We just met, we were colleagues. And for a bad luck, they lost their lives. So some families, when they see me, they feel pain here, around here. So I have to be ready for anything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, listen, Moses, Donga, thank you very much for your time. And uh, next time I'm in Nairobi, I'll, I'll have to take your tour again. Yeah. Welcome. 
You're welcome. I'm looking forward to see you again. And also all the viewers, they will see this. If you are in Nairobi, just look for us. We are Nainami. Nainami. Or we have, we have a website, Nainami. Nainami, www.nainami, yeah. I will share it with everybody. Listen, thank you very much for your time. And uh, I know you have to do some work and... Yeah, yeah, I have to go hustling. And also the owner of the house is outside. He has a girlfriend outside. He wants okay. To <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you very much, Donga. Thank you. Okay, bye. I'll talk to you soon, man. Good luck. Bye, 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 bye. Well, there you go. There you have it. That's uh, that's the story of Donga. Moses Donga. Donga man. But he had many names. And uh, yeah, crazy, crazy story. Crazy life. Crazy upbringing. Um, I'm going to try and include a link to a bit he did that you can watch on YouTube just to promote this uh, business. He was in. <laughs> this is this uh, proper business. It's funny the way he talks about business. Like uh, we started up a new business. Um, but uh, the if you're ever in Nairobi, Nairobi, and you want to do the tour, it's Nainami, so N A I N A M I, and you can just look that up on on the uh, on the old internet, Nainami, and you'll see some information there about um, the the tours, Nairobi storytelling tour with street children, and uh, really good values, like forty forty euro or something, and it's 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 a shock. It's a shock to the senses, and it's, I mean, it's interesting because there seems to be a fear here in Ireland and England and in the Western world that all these people that live in countries in Africa, cities like Nairobi, you know, that they're all, they're all on their way here, they all want to come here, and they all want to live in Ireland, they all want to take our stuff or whatever it is. But when you know the reality of it, when you realise how far away it is, when you realise how difficult they have it, when you realise what they actually want, which is, you know, a nice life, a nice little house in the slums, you know, I think it just puts things in perspective. And that's what it did for me anyway. You're like, it's just the reality of their day-to-day -day lives is, it's good. It's good to know. It's a good, it's, it's. It's very good to know these things and just in case, you know, your mind starts to wander to thinking that, you know, somehow they want to come here and take your jobs and your your land and it's just not the case. Um, you know, like anybody from Ireland that had to leave um, back in the day from whenever, from from the famine right up to modern modern Ireland. Anybody that had to leave, they always wanted to come home. They didn't really want to leave. Nobody ever wants to leave their country, you know. So just it's just good to bear these things in mind. Um, okay, I'm going to include, I'm going to finish up with a track from Dungaman. This is called Kajaba. Um, I hope you enjoy it. Uh, the, my email address as always is uh, Keith. Walsh.walsh at gmail.com or keithwalshpod at gmail.com. Um, and yeah, he was in, he was, he was recording that in, in his friend's gaff in the slums. So that's why there's a lot of uh, noise and stuff. The, the, the walls are thin, to be honest with you. 
but uh, I'll leave you with this. This is Dungaman and this is Kajaba. Ningoma ya kajaba na ito dongaman joka ama jaka baba Na pia meme ni baba so tuliani kufundishe kuhusu kajaba Kauna shikisha kwa raza kwa mata wewe zidi kujilisha Ungeza bass kwenye speaker balance kidogo tuundo niweze kusikika Nime kuja kuwashika juu ya kajaba na pia kuwakilisha Nime kuja kuwashika juu ya kajaba na pia kuwelimisha Juu ya kajaba jaba What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. 
Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.